journalist, not a terrorist. Stick up for the First Amendment. I know what's right. Get out and vote. The First Amendment type. Don't let nobody vote for you. With the Lafayette Square. Yeah. First Amendment. Cause Trump don't care. November vote blue. Get the kids out of the cages. Get out and vote. And increase our wages. Come on now. All characters and events in Nehera in America, even those based on real people, are entirely fictional. All celebrity voices are impersonated really badly. Even though we are using names and likenesses in Nehera in America, this is only done to use for comedy parody purposes. The show is not real or meant to harm. And we're back with a special guest here on Nehera in America, Mayor Goldman of Las Vegas. Hey, Mayor. We are Las Vegas. <laughs> what a year, huh? 2020, just like winnings at the blackjack table. Up and down, up and down. Is she been drinking? Listen, Rick, we're putting our essential workers back to work. Car dealers, drink dealers, gun dealers, high-end escorts. Outdoors and mouths are open. <laughs> right? Uh, are you listening? Y- yes, I'm listening. You sound like a cry for help from an alcoholic. Okay, let me get this straight. Vegas is not closed, but the strippers are closed. It's all confusing to me. Rick, listen, we have 150,000 hotel rooms that are open. So if you want to have a bachelor party and hire one of the essential workers, they're ready to work. Female strippers, male strippers, female strippers, midget strippers, uh, yeah. book that flight to McCarran International, baby! Uh, I believe you're mentioning your airport in a very slurred way. What precautions are you taking to keep people safe? God, Rick, listen, okay, Vegas has an amazing air conditioning system, uh-huh. okay? So we're just pumping the ventilators with Lysol. We're telling the high-end escorts to wear masks and conduct business below the belt, and preferably by a pool where the UV light will kill any contagion. This is a family show. Excuse me? What? What? Have you been drinking, Mayor Goldman? Yes, I'm having a daiquiri from the Wynn Hotel. I had a little sketch at the Bellagio, too. I'm just kind of going and seeing how the hotels uh, are holding up. This is a serious pandemic, Mayor Golden. Of course, the, the clown sounds by Bo aren't, but it is serious. It might be serious in China, but that's another state, Rick. This is the United States of America. Yeah, I know it's the United States of America, and we happen uh-huh. to be number one in COVID deaths now because of this kind of ignorance. Now, now oh, Mayor Golden, I'm begging you. It's not- a hoax. Mayor Goldman. Uh-huh. Aren't you worried you're putting people in major harm's way? I mean, listen, Trump knew about this, and, and now you did too, so come on. Rick, Rick, yes, yes, are I'm you here. listening? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay, Las Vegas has been the center of viral infection for years, okay? Chlamydia, syphilis, gonorrhea, hepatitis A, B, and C. I mean, we do the whole damn alphabet wow. here of diseases, all right? Okay. Bikini top's optional, okay? Rick, yes. have you swam at the pool at the Encore Hotel? Uh, no, I've, I've okay, well, it's not only a pool, it's a cesspool of diseases, okay? Oh. We're creating herd immunity uh, no. because Vegas is at the forefront of scientific research. Okay, look, this is disturbing to say the least. Um, I know whatever goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas, but but not this COVID, okay? It's going to spread. 
It's a hoax. This is too sweet. Can I get another cherry in this? Yeah, the Mayor Goldman, please, we're, we're conducting an interview right now. Look. You know the old saying, it's when it goes on in Vegas, stays in Vegas? It won't. It's like the Sturgis rally. It will go everywhere. We got to stop this. Just today, Rick, uh-huh. I had clam chowder, cheesecake, and sushi. It was delicious. Have you tried the buffets? Buffets? At the win? There's buffets open right now? Nothing like it. Yes, we're opening it up. People need to eat. This is disturbing to say the least. Can I get another olive? Can you get her an olive, please? Thank you. Good luck to you, Mayor Goldman. Rick, you gotta try the quick hit money slots. Okay. That's where the money is. We had a big winner today, $10,000 oh. in two minutes. Okay. Thank you, Mayor Goldman. I'm betting on Vegas not doing well. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you later. Listen, you gotta get some help. Go to A. God, help us. Whatever happens in Vegas spreads all throughout the world. Ha <laughs> ha! Come to Vegas! Baby. <laughs> All right, geez, why couldn't the tiger get her? Well, you're listening to Hair in America. We'll be right back. Our next guest on Hair in America is an amazing author and friend who wrote the book, The Mosaic, one of the most incredible books I've ever read. It's such a beautiful book. It talks about spirituality. It's akin to almost the alchemist or the Celestine prophecy. He is also one of the best marketing experts in the world. He's an amazing speaker. He was a monk for almost 10 years of his life, a great spiritual man, I think well worth listening to. Ladies and gentlemen, Daniel Levin. I love being here. What I love about your story and I love about you is that you've always seemed to search for purpose, the reason why. And in your book, The Mosaic, which I read and I loved, the, the Mo character loses his parents and goes on a journey. So that's very much your story. And the, the people you encounter on the road are probably the same people you encountered on, on your journey as well. Most of them were people I met along my journey, but some a couple of them I made up purpose. because I wanted to have the opportunity to meet the characters like the reader was meeting the characters. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see what that experience of meeting them was like. You know, when you write, you, you hear a still, small voice is the best way I can explain it. It's like I consider myself more of a scribe than a writer. Like I hear something and I write it down. That, that's been my, my journey as a writer and, you know, doing that sort of work. Your journey, because of the experiences in your life, is such a profound journey. And on Hair in America, I know a lot of times we keep interviews light and we have fun and stuff like that. But I also feel there's a balance that sometimes we have to talk about these things. What I love about you is when you've ever counseled me or talked to me or mentored me, you always get me stopping and thinking and listening. Listening is one of the things you have done well. Because every time I talk to you, I, I honestly feel I'm being listened to. I feel someone's paying attention. That's the beauty of it all. You know, you're, the, the heart and soul and compassion of you is so much that you really do listen to someone without judgment, without anything, just listening. Where did you learn that skill? I don't think I know. I think in writing the mosaic, somehow it came to me because I was a little bit of a snob most of my life, Rick. I, I only would sit with people that I thought were of a high enough vibration that I could be with them. And not that I was of some high vibration, but I just didn't have the patience to sit with people that were wallowing in the pain of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little bit of a snob. I only ate at certain restaurants or did certain things. When I wrote the mosaic, the characters that came to me to, to introduce me to heaven were not the people that I would sit and dine or talk to normally. Mm -hmm. They were the common ordinary people. They were the trash men and homeless men and road war street artists and the blind woman, juice man and the waitress and gardener, mm-hmm. common ordinary people. And when I sat with them and listened to their stories, 
what I saw was that who they were was totally different than the person that I initially saw. Mm-hmm. You know, they say you can't judge a book by its cover, but we all do. In the first three seconds we're with somebody, you have a first impression of who they are and what they do and what they're going to be like. Mm-hmm. But these guys blew my mind. And when it happened over and over and over and over and over, over again, I realized that, hold it, I don't see anything the way it is. I see everything the way I am. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what would happen if I got out of my own way and saw the world the way it is. It was showing itself to you rather than I believed looked. And in doing that, I learned to see differently and hear differently. But that's also searching for profound change. I mean, is that, is that a scary part? Yeah, it's scary. To, yeah. Of course it is. Because we, we're so committed to what we believe. We all live in our silos. Look at the political world that we live in now. We're, we're so siloed in our silos. Mm-hmm. Where Democrats are in one silo, Republicans are in another silo, and, and all we do is yell at each other from silo to silo. Nobody's, I mean, nobody, I don't want to say nobody because that's never true. Yeah. But very few people are listening. Most of the time, we're just talking. And even when we give the guys that we're listening, we're not really listening. We're thinking, how are we going to respond to what they're saying? How are we going to answer? What to do? What, what's, what can I say to them that will make them believe what I believe? And I think as politicians, or a lot of times it's based on fear. Oh, my. If you don't vote for me, the world's going to end. You know, fear. The world will not end. It will. The, the sun will rise again. But concentrate on what's good and then try to do good. I think that's the secret we have to approach our politics with. And, you know, Daniel, just thank you for coming on the show. Um, you're an amazing man, and it's a pleasure to know you, and it's a great honor to have you here. It's my honor, Rick. Thank, thank you, you for having me. That was Daniel Levin from Inherent America. Great speaker. Fascinating man. And as we keep doing Inherent America, we want to bring you different kind of guests of all persuasions and thoughts and types and just show the mosaic that America is on Nehara in America. Nehara in America. Stay tuned. Something new is always happening. Welcome back to Naharan America. Our next guest is Elena Sotomayor, Executive Vice President, Cardinals Marketing Network, Henry Agency, and one of the people with the biggest hearts, and she's here with Maestro Cares. You produce Latino logs. You've done amazing things. I've seen you work so hard and leading with your heart, and I think that's why people like working with you, because you're authentic. What we did when you came to Chicago with Latino Logs in the theater, I remember learning monologues backstage, going on stage, getting off stage, going to the box office, signing a check, doing settlement, coming back onto stage to the point where one of our actors was like, is she on cue? <laughs> and I'm like, nope, at the box office, but I'll be there. I'll deliver that line. It was true. And those were the good days. I'm they sorry. were. I mean, it was like you were a mob boss. That's what you were. I mean, you were <laughs> counting money. I don't know, right? I saw you a stack of money counting it out. I'm like, I would never cross this boss. You're like, you're holding up the stacks of bills going, hey, this looks a little short. You know what I'm talking about? Little light here. Little light. You know, you were out there producing. I've seen you grow. Thank you, man. Really give. That organization you give with is Maestro Cares. Can you tell me a little about that for our listeners? Absolutely. In uh, my 25 or 26 year career, I always wanted to be in broadcast. I wanted to be a journalist. I got my dream internship at Fox and I end up at the offices of Henry Cardenas. <laughs> I was hired to do project managing, office managing, accounting, tour managing, budgets, proposals, marketing, sponsorship, sales, anything that came my way. And I was blessed enough to come into a place where challenges were on a daily basis. The best part of that was that I was able to learn and grow in every aspect of the business, whether it was marketing, sales, touring, on the road, artist management, agent. 
did, all of the above. It was very interesting because I did not learn that in college. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm going to go do a master's in entertainment and the art. And I went to uh, Columbia College here in Chicago, and I worked at CFA. Mm-hmm. So everything I did on the street, on the plane, on the road was something that I was textbook learning. And I was able to quickly turn that around and bring those learnings and apply my knowledge from the road to my education. Mm-hmm. So now I was lucky enough to work on experiential platforms mm-hmm. and music platforms and sponsorships and endorsements, which was amazing. Yeah. Not something you go learn like you can right now. These days you can actually go learn it by textbook and do ship and learn on the road. Back then it it was an experiment. Each conversation with each client was a brand new conversation. Mm-hmm. And we had to navigate a lot of unknown waters. So we give so much and we work a lot and we make a lot of money. But then you have to realize, you have to stop and realize, how do you give back? How do you leave a footprint in this world and start to give back? One of the festivals was Festival Presidente Musica Latina in Dominican Republic of Santo Domingo. And so we were commissioned to bring the talent to produce the entire festival, a three-day festival with the top 12 artists around the world, Latin American artists. And so you can imagine the work behind it. Uh, with a limited team in the Dominican Republic. And so, you know, once you're done, you pretty much fall and you just look at the ceiling and you want to just hang out. But after a couple of days of taking it all in and being proud of the team and the work, for me, it was more about let me rent a car and go around the neighborhood just to see what the people are like. Mm -hmm. What is the food here like? What's the culture like? I want to learn it. If I come back here every two years, yeah. I want to be able to familiarize myself with this country, with this little town. And I did. And so took a car, brought the family with me, my production team, Henry's family, Henry's daughter, Zaidi. Mm-hmm. We said, let's go find families that are in need. Because in our, in our journey, while producing um, the show, the three-day show, we, we saw a lot of poverty. We saw a lot of the kids who were on the street, no shoes, no older brother or mom. And I said, you know, there's got to be something we can do. I want to feel good about, you know, where we are and imagine if we could do this around the world, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. At first, it was by instinct. We just wanted to give. Whoever was on the street, whoever was on the road or backstage, any family we would that was in need, the field workers, so on and so forth. And so we realized there was a community of kids on the street who were fending for themselves. Some of the staff where we used to stay, you know, they realized we were doing this and they said, look, there's an orphanage. There's a foundation in this town. You should go there. It's centralized. You can control your giving. Mm -hmm. None of these children have ever experienced what family is like with a mom and dad. They've experienced having a hundred sisters and 50 brothers. This is how they grew up. And no matter what they'd gone through, they had a smile on their face and they were just happy to have somebody come see them, maybe give them a hug, a smile, and spend some 
time, quality time. Honestly, I walked in there and oh, yeah, I couldn't heart. believe it. We went into a four-bedroom, small brick building where 40 boys were living in four bedrooms mm. in multiple mattresses on the floor. There was no showers. And so oh, I was no. like, wait, we need to jump in here. This is unacceptable. And I'm sure this happens everywhere around the world. But at that very moment, we were there and we had to do something about that place in the world. Mm-hmm knowing very well in our heart as a calling that we had to continue this mission. And so because we have network and friends and connections and artists and influence, we started making phone calls. Mm -hmm. Two years later, we founded Maestro Cares Foundation Mm -hmm. as a 501c3. I have to commend uh, Henry and Zaidi, who is the executive director. Our first project obviously was in Dominican Republic. We moved on to Barranquilla, Colombia, and we found amazing partners in Toluca and Guadalajara, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so after Mexico, we decided let's find foundations who are helping children, boys and girls who are not only orphaned, but they're disadvantaged. They've been abused or they have terminal illnesses. And so Mexico was a beautiful project and we ended up doing two projects there. We're going on our third. Bolivia, in every single market, we have a partner or a sponsor. And so after Colombia and Mexico, we partnered up with Marcelo Claude in Bolivia. He was building a home in his mother's honor. And so what we did was went in there and said, we'll match your donation and we will actually build another building so you can educate more children and have more success stories. I've been to your orphanage in, in Dominican Republic. It's powerful, the amount of love. But also what you see is this huge potential mm-hmm. of these children to be anything they could ever dream of being, but just given a chance, you know, given an opportunity. I went to a restaurant afterwards and there was a kid that was being trained to be a chef there. From, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was like amazing. And then I've been to the beach with you and you brought children with you to the beach. And, and I've I've just seen this amazing love. And, I, you know, I, I see Mark Anthony's heart and Henry's heart. But man, those children make them, I just see their heart just open up and the love pour out. It's been amazing. And I have to tell you, every time I talk about my little cares and the foundation and the kids, the best part is telling the success stories, telling people about a junior who's going to be an artist, got a scholarship to Bellas Artes School of Art. It's telling people about Jose Luis Cabrera, who is now a designer for Gucci. It's about Tyson, who wanted to be in marketing, never had anything, anywhere to live, and now he wants to be a lawyer. It's about Johan, who was signed to the Toronto baseball team. It's about Fred, the kid you met at the restaurant, Mm -hmm. who now is head chef. At Pepperoni, one of the biggest, oh. best restaurants in, in Santo Domingo. I, I got to go there now. Like, those are the stories. Like, that, to me, that's it. Like, you came here, you put a little bit of heart and energy in it, and this is what you get from these kids. Many, many, many more stories to come. And so I want to just, because I know we've known each other for 20 years, mm-hmm. and you've seen the work on multiple sides, whether it's music, the shows, the orphanage. Trust me when I tell you, Rick Nahera, that it is a team. There's a team and a family, and it takes a village. I've never, ever been good at taking the UUU credit. I honestly, I got to tell you, without the team, without every single person that wakes up every morning with this passion about building and helping, we wouldn't be able to do it. People out there, 
Get on Maestro Cares. It's maestrocares.org, I believe. Mm-hmm, that's get, correct, maestrocares.org. Get on the website. Give to Maestro Cares. Help Maestro Cares. That's right. And I, I got to say, if you can't give, please spend time with the kids. Even if it's virtually, get mm-hmm. to know our project, and we will find a way for anyone to be involved. Mm-hmm. That's common. Well, thank you for all your great work. Thanks, Elena. Elena Sotomayor on Heron America. Please give to Maestro Cares, maestrocares.org. Check them out. These are the people that I believe in the world are the solution for all our problems, and that solution is love. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Rick. Thanks for everything. We'll see you soon. You're listening to the Nahara in America podcast. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Naharan America. Our next guest is funny, to say the least. She has a one-hour special called The Floor is Lava. It premiered on Amazon Prime Video on June 5th. I've seen it myself. It's hilarious. Ladies and gentlemen, the star of The Floor is Lava, Gina Brion. Gina, so glad to have you here on the show. Hey. You sound great. Thank you, you for having me. Oh, are you kidding me? I think it's a great honor. I mean, you you're, you just had a baby only uh, like what, two months ago? <laughs> Good. Yeah, two months ago. I know. What a fantastic experience that must have been. Being pregnant was amazing. Having the baby was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. And parenthood is very, very interesting. Yeah, I have three kids myself, so I understand what that's like. Cause when my, yeah. I was the birth coach at every single birth, and uh, my, wow. my daughter said, uh, you know, Mommy made the baby. She did all the work. And I go, I was the birth coach, which is an extremely important position because I'm telling everyone in the <laughs> hospital what to do. So as the birth coach, mm-hmm. I had that power. So for me, I felt I was very involved. Like I could say, no, no, she gets no drugs. I want this all natural. I want her to experience this. Yeah. As a birth coach, I could do that. So it was great. And I saw your special, The Floor is Lava. Very funny. Oh, thank you for watching. Thank you. I enjoyed your work. I mean, the, just your whole career trajectory. I mean, coming from the Bronx, uh, the people that really inspired you, George Lopez, who I've worked with. It was all the women that you've seen and admired. You could see a woman and a man doing comedy, and you related to yeah. both. That was great. So, But you started very young. I mean, you were like something I like... I did, yeah. I was about 17 on the, on the cusp of turning 18, I think. Was that a scary position, or was it kind of freeing that, that you almost don't know what's going on? So you're... You're, you're st- in the beginning, I don't think I was, uh, I wasn't really scared in the beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. I had moments of, like, fear, yeah. but I was so determined. I was so determined that I knew that this was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, that it just, I mean, I was willing to work the hardest I'd ever worked in my life. I think part of what, when you're passionate about something, that's just part of it. You, don't, you almost don't think, you just do. I am a native New Yorker. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Born and raised in the Bronx, New York. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you've never been to the Bronx, you should totally go. I didn't say stay. You just go there, look around, and then quick, save yourself. They can smell fear. Actually, ladies, if you ever want to boost your self-esteem, go to the Bronx. Because they love anything even remotely female. It's true, you could put a pair of boobs on a mop and they'd be like, yo, who's the girl with the dreadlocks? Damn, girl, you skinny, but you cute. Girl, what your name is? Damn, girl, you smell like ammonia. She'd be like, that is my name, Ammonia. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, some of you have been to the ghetto. That's beautiful. <laughs> You're like, that's my cousin's name. That's how every girl that I grew up with talked, by the way. Every girl that I grew up with had that really thick, like, Rosie Perez, like, Puerto Rican, like, oh, my God, you're so stupid. <laughs> yeah, so you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> every girl had that cutesy little accent. Oh, my God, you're so stupid. And I was jealous. I was jealous of those girls because guys thought that was sexy. Like, when I was growing up, guys thought that was super sexy, and I never had that voice. I never had that, that sexy, like, sweet, little, high-pitched voice. I, was, I have a pretty deep voice for a chick. <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you really do. So I used to be jealous of those girls because I think guys thought that was so hot. And then I realized, if you have that kind of accent your entire life, at some point, you got to get a grown person job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's going to be hilarious. <laughs> The day that you walk into a courtroom and your lawyer's like, but he didn't, did it, your honor? <laughs> Not because you're looking at him like he's guilty when I told you he didn't, did it. <laughs> did I win yet? I won yet? I won? <laughs> no, you gotta specifically tell me. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for getting the last part of that. You'd be amazed at how many times I've done that in the Bronx and girls are like, I don't know what she specifically meant by that last one. So who would you say is a comic that's been inspiring you lately? Wow, so many that I love. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just out, out of New York where, you know, I'm based. Yeah. You know, love all the, all the greats out here that people would know, like the David Hell, Patrice was amazing. I mean, of the guys now that are out, I'm a huge Tom Segura fan. Uh, I've <laughs> always been a huge Kathleen Madigan fan. Obviously, somebody I've worked with and admired greatly. I love Gabriel Iglesias. That's great. Yeah, a good friend of mine. He's just a, what a wonderful, wonderful human being. Like, he's great to work with, and he's got such a work ethic. So I love working with Gabe. I always learn something when I work with him. Yeah. And that, those are the comics that I like. When I feel like I've learned something about the craft, mm-hmm. or I'm watching somebody and I feel like, oh, I need to improve my writing because this person is a killer writer. Well, that's yeah. a great bit. Like, people like that, I, I love watching. Especially Tom Segura for that reason, because he's so incredibly opposite mm-hmm. of a lot of the type of comedy that I will do. Yeah. But he's also very bold and fearless. And I'm, I'm coming from somebody who is like a diehard George Carlin fan like myself. Oh, yeah. Big time. I love people like that. Yeah. George Carlin is like a prophet to me. He's at that comedy level where, where he really is saying something prophetic that just will last forever. I have the sense of humor of a four year old. I do everything kids think is funny, I think is funny too. Like, I still think farts are the funniest thing on the planet. <laughs> Thank you, me, and like six people, really? <laughs> really a room full of grown folk? You're gonna sit here and act like you've never been in the bathroom, someone cut one and you tried not to laugh? <laughs> yeah, there we go, there we go. That is a universal situation. Don't be afraid of the ties that bind us. I'll prove to you that farts are still funny. I was recently at a buffet. (laughs) Don't judge me. We've already discussed this. I'm a foodie. Buffets are like carnivals for foodies. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you show up at a buffet, you're like a little kid. You're like, oh my God, there's food everywhere. There's steak and bacon-wrapped shrimp and a salad bar for some reason. Every time I see someone at a salad bar, at a buffet, I just want to take their plate away and go, get out. (laughs) 
don't you mock us with your salad eating. <laughs> so I'm at this buffet, right? And I go to the bathroom. It's me, this woman in the middle stall, and a lady and her four-year-old daughter. Really cute little girl, right? Now, the woman in the middle farted. Wait for it, because here's the important part. It wasn't one that you could get past. See, all of a sudden you all know what I'm talking about, right? Why? Because normally when it happens, it's a little sound and you're like, she didn't know that was coming. Yeah, that was a surprise to everybody involved. And you know she didn't know because the second it happened, she was like, Jesus. She got startled. But this, no. This was an I ran to the bathroom because I didn't know what was going to follow this. And we've all been there, too. Where, like, one second you're talking to somebody and the next you're like, I gotta get out of here, like, right now. This is not safe for anyone. Because it went on for, like, two minutes. That's an ungodly amount of time. Can we just discuss, guys? After 30 seconds, call a doctor. What did you eat? It's dangerous now. And here's the thing. In that situation, we all do the same thing. What do you do? You shut up immediately. Right? Like the second it happens, you're like, nobody can know I'm here. And you're Puerto Rican. Because I go to Puerto Rico and it's like, it is the warmest group of human beings. I'm the Mexican side. We tend to be the serious ones. <laughs> but yeah. P- Puerto Ricans are fun, the Caribbean, you know, it's all that world. So I think when it comes back, I think it'll make us realize how much we need touch, how much we need other human beings in our life. So I, I'm hoping. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that's what Me happens. Me too. If you had a dream for the future, what would it be? I mean, career-wise, life-wise, I mean, I would like to love to be able to hug people. I would love to be able to do regular shows. Career-wise, we're working on some projects, some television stuff that I would love to see to fruition. The dream is to have all of your projects get made and to have them loved by everybody. And so, I mean, that would be my dream is to put out things that I believe in and have people love them. I got excited by just meeting you. It's true. It's true. I'm just being totally honest with you. But you're talented. Thank and you. I know I'd love to work with you. And I'm sure a lot of people are saying well, the same you. things because you've got a great centered spirit. I'm expecting a lot coming thank from you. you. So thank you so much for coming on Here in America. Gina Brion, thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. That was Gina Brion. Join us next week for more on Nehara in America. Listen to Nehara in America on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 